Sea Stars Podcast, where space meets ocean. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Sea Stars podcast. And if you were listening last week, you would know that we're back with Dr. Allison Hindle, who is the co-founder of Leap Biosystems and assistant professor at Nevada University, Las Vegas. What we're going to be talking about today is a little bit of a shift, but as you know, on the Sea Stars podcast, we love space and ocean, and Allison, you're the perfect person for this. So Allison was one of 32 finalists in the 2016-2017 Canadian Space Agency astronaut recruitment campaign, and it started with with close to 4,000 applicants, and you were also a finalist one of the top 12 in the Ash- in the 2009 astronaut recruitment campaign. So, that's right. So the, this like one of the reasons that we have this podcast is to find someone like you to bring on because you are the overlap between I've space and ocean. It. I've made it. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> made it. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to talk to you again. So, uh why why the overlap in your interest? Where does that like where does that come from? It's a great question. I I think I'm just motivated and curious to explore. And so as a scientist, that's what I do every day. I study and try to learn the secrets and strategies of animals that live in extreme environments on Earth. And as a human, I, I also really believe that our future is an exploration. And I'm fascinated by that and excited to try to use my skill set to help in that endeavor. I feel like you're the person that every little kid is like really curious about the ocean, really curious about space. And like, you've done both of them, which is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with your, like, I mean, we just spent the, the episode talking about how remote working in, in, and our, in Antarctica is. And um, that's, I can imagine that's completely transferable to people or other mammals going and, and traveling remotely out in space. So is, is that kind of where your interest in overlap is? I think so. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, in the sense that going to Antarctica really is a scientific expedition and, and that spirit of exploration is really strong, not just in the work that you are doing out in the environment with the animals that you're studying, but also like Antarctica was like one of the final frontiers on our planet for exploration. And, and those, those amazing explorers were taking their first steps towards the South pole, not that long ago. Um, So, you know, it's even within several lifetimes, we've had major exploration discoveries um, at the poles. And so that spirit of exploration, I think, is really close to home when you're there in the Antarctic. And I, I think, I imagine that that my, my skill set, you know, as someone who's been on expedition, um, and <laughs> I'm sure the psychological profile of folks that you want to be on expedition with, those are the people that I, I think tend to be successful astronaut candidates. That's that's really interesting. Yeah, because I, 
completely makes sense. But I would have thought that it would have been more the application of your research that that would be the transferable skill. But no, it's it's the um, it's just the complete personality type that it takes to do one also takes to do the other. And that's like one one of the things that um, I, I know most astronauts are also divers. Um, and that that's just one of the transfer transferable skills between the two. So, yeah, well, there's a couple there's a couple of things things to unpack in what you said there. I do think that when if you were to ask um, space agencies, they would say that they're they're looking for they're hiring astronauts with that are the whole package. But definitely you hear a lot of discussion about things like expeditionary skills Um you want folks who who are going to be able to continue to learn, continue to work together in teams to solve problems, to do work that's sometimes hard um, for extended periods of time. Um, and you also, I think, want um, astronauts who have shown that they're able to learn at a high level for a really long time because there's a lot to learn and there's a lot of systems on spacecraft that you have to have a working knowledge of and flight systems and then the scientific experiments. So it would certainly benefit me. I would already have a leg up on doing biology experiments in space, but there's a lot more to the job than that. Is there room for you to bring your own scientific interests into the research done in space? Or would you be doing the projects that you're basically like are directives of the CSA? Uh, So professional astronauts are doing the programs that are that the the governmental agencies are subscribing to. So they're they're definitely I think there's been a shift in the last over time, you know, so some of Canada's first astronauts were hired as what we used to we call payload specialists. Um, and so they were they were a little more focused and they were there to do a particular mostly scientific endeavor in space. And that model is not um, the current model where the NASA and the CSA have mission specialists, which are the folks that have to qualify to spacewalk and have to qualify to operate the robotics and also have to be able to do the experiments. Um, so it is a lot, uh, it is a package, <laughs> it is a big package deal. And so, you know, that's that's what the recruitments are designed to evaluate amongst folks. So I'm sure that that like one of the reasons I, may, I was able to advance out of the early screening rounds is my experience in Antarctica, which I think is there's a lot of overlap there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that that's just I, I mean, I've never gone to any remote places at all like that. And so I, I can imagine that it, there would be a lot of overlap just with the mindset of going on that expedition. I I can't even say I've been on anything that I would call an expedition. So just that's amazing (laughs) that you, you can say that is part of your job. Well, I highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, just when you're, if you've, if anyone who's been camping, you know, like you, you know, there's like people who are better to go camping with and people who are less good to go camping with, right? right? Um, there's, uh, so you, <laughs> when you're with a small group of people um, away from electronics <laughs> for a long period of time, I mean, you just interact with people differently. Um, and, you know, <laughs> so here's the thing that happens. 
you start to tell the same stories again and again and again because you can't remember what day it is or who you've told the story to. <laughs> right. Like, no, no, this is, I've heard that one. This is the third time today. Yeah. And, you know, you just kind of just cycle through your repertoire of, of stuff to talk about. Uh, it's just a different dynamic in small teams in, in remote places. Yeah. And I, I can imagine, I mean, the current set of astronauts are going up to the International Space Station. I mean, the next set likely are going to Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, would, would a expedition like that be something that you couldn't imagine? Or is that still something like I, I couldn't even think about mentally preparing for an expedition like that. But like, what's what's your thoughts on something that big? Well, I I think um, well, it's hard for it's hard for me to say. But so I think anybody who's going to be in a position to be on an expedition like that, um, being prepared is really the most central element. Um, And so how do you prepare to be prepared? Right. You we're not just like jaunting off <laughs> into um, beyond low Earth orbit. Um, this is something that's going to happen for humans in a very thoughtful and measured way with lots of support and lots of strategies and lots and lots of training. And I think one of the most important things that training gives you, including simulations of emergency, it just gives you the confidence to know that you can react um, so there really is a lot of effort devoted to preparation for things like this. Um, and so you really, you know, you really start living and immersing yourself in those missions quite a bit before they happen. Right. And I guess that's, that's a big part of the astronaut selection process is, is trying to test, I uh, maybe test people, but also try and figure out like what scenarios you may be good in or need to work on, right? Like, yeah, I mean, well, we can speculate all we like. We will never actually know <laughs> what right. they are yeah, evaluating. Um, but I think that sounds like a good guess. Would you, I mean, neither of us have gone through that. I would I would say that probably none, if, if very few of our listeners have gone through it, but you've gone through the process twice. Uh, <laughs> what... What's it like to go through being like all of that evaluation? Yeah, I just can't get enough of the Canadian Space Agency trying to light me on fire. (laughs) (laughs) They light you on fire? Well, um, so... I feel like day one, that's probably... Actually, wait, I should just like very clearly know the Canadian Space Agency (laughs) did not light me on fire. Um, I don't want there to be any (laughs) uncertainty about that. So a lot of, as you can imagine, and for anyone who listened to Peter's um, really great um, description of the first recruitment, you know, there are a lot of um, situational tests, right? They want to put you in a scenario and then observe what you do. Um, And something that was really helpful that some of the military guys said to me during my first recruitment um, they didn't say it to me at the beginning, but they said it to me later on. Stuck with me. He's like, nah, well, we're in the military. You know, we do a lot of training. The government is not going to kill us on purpose. Right. <laughs> so that was kind of reassuring, right? So, but yeah. you're trying to, you're being put in situations that are potentially scary, 
certainly mm-hmm. exhilarating and you know and you need to keep it together and that's what they're i think that certainly has to be a thing that's being evaluated can you still learn can you still process can you still act even when the situation is um, a little bit overwhelming and so fighting a fire is is a great way to demonstrate that is a physical thing that is confronting you in a room it can, you know, it's a surprise. You just walk around the corner and you're the, there's a fire, you know, and it can be something as simple as you're able to actually grab the fire extinguisher when there's a real fire and put the fire out. Or um, maybe you're in full firefighting gear and the fire is much larger than what you would be confronting with a fire extinguisher. You know, so th- that the, the fire theme emerged a couple of times. That's so cool because... You know, like we've said, we've never been through that process. And I find it so interesting that you don't actually know what you're being evaluated on. But of course, all the people who have made it to that stage are all top tier candidates. But then there's qualities that they're looking for that, you know, everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. And it's so interesting. Like, yeah, I would love to know what they're looking for. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure everyone would at that (laughs) in that in that moment. But no, I mean, one of the the strongest feeling and memory that I have from both of my recruitments um, is that you, you eventually advance to a phase where you are now in a room with other applicants, right? Mm. You know, there's the, I filled out an essay phase, you know, and you do some stuff and then you, you're actually, now you're here. And it is just so amazing to see how accomplished these other people are and as a Canadian, the, the biggest feeling that I have about being involved in either of these recruitments is how proud I am and how proud I was and still am of, of all of those people, all of that talent that our country has. It's just mind blowing. And, and, and yeah, so that's really how proud I was is that the thing that stuck with me the longest and the strongest. That's yeah. That's very humble of you because I'm sure other people also were thinking, wow, that Allison, like, <laughs> I need to pick it up <laughs> to, to beat her. So. I don't know. I, I don't know. In, in 2009, in the final group, it's like, so I, I went back and I listened to Peter talking about his experience, right? And so um, so for any of your listeners, this should go back was really good. <laughs> and he talked about how he thought he would show up. This is, I think this is a hilarious story. He thought he would show up and kind of be like, okay, well, at least I'll be the sporty one, you know, because he's an Olympian and (laughs) a pretty sporty guy, you know, and he's going to have the gym part covered. And, you know, and then the first person he meets is Jeremy Hansen, who's also kind of very tall and let's just say sporty, right? So, so, okay, so let's imagine me, I am the only, I am not a tall person, (laughs) and I'm a girl and I'm the only female in the final of 2009. And so when you're just kind of looking around, I did not feel (laughs) like other people were looking at me and thinking, oh yeah, she's the one to beat, you know? And so Peter, like, so Peter was like, had this, (laughs) how to say this, Peter kind of got shocked by meeting Jeremy first and now I'm meeting both of them. (laughs) Oh, the Olympian. Oh, the guy that climbed Mount Everest. Oh, the fighter pilot. All right. I study seals. No. So But I I would I would speculate that you have have slash at that time had the expedition experience that none of them had. 
some, I suppose, except right. the guy who, except the guy who climbed Mount Everest. I mean, geez. Right. That's, <laughs> an, that. that's an expedition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it, that's, that's maybe a one-off expedition. Maybe. That's probably I, your happy place. People like that were in the room. I mean, if you went around the room, it was just one amazing story after another. Oh, five languages and four degrees and your whatever. It, it was just, it was awesome. It was so awesome. So proud. And I have to ask, because this always intrigues me with people who go through this process, like, how did this come across your desk? Because I think if I saw this, I would assume that it's a virus or spam or something. <laughs> well, the, the first 2009, um, I, I think I heard it on CBC driving to work. Nice. So not, you know. Wait, um, driving out to prep on an expedition or driving no, I was into working the office? At, um, a field site I was working for the University of British Columbia at the time so I was driving to a field site like an off-site thing with okay. the, that we shared with the Vancouver Aquarium so just regular driving to work yeah and you thought yeah I, I could I could apply I thought, oh I could do that I would love to do that <laughs> oh, that's so cool that that'd be phenomenal to just have that realization of like, oh, that like I could do that, and then to actually end up in a room as one of the top candidates. It was wild. Like, that's that's amazing. It was wild. So, so what, like, um, what of the training processes, like, was something that you'd be able to walk us through that you could like vividly remember? I feel like I feel like I've covered the fire angle already, so I need to go with something different because that is, frankly, was quite memorable. Um, so I'm, I'm gonna so something from the 20, 2009 because this is a lot of that is actually kind of etched in my memory a little bit more because it was the first time I was ever yeah. in situations kind of like that. I remember we went to um, we we went to uh, a Navy damage control school. So outside of Halifax, right? And so they have this ship, which is a building, but they can simulate fire and flood in the ship. And they can flood individual compartments, et cetera, et cetera. And it's it's pretty amazing because you know there's a control room somewhere that you cannot see, and um, you you're pretty sure that the fire isn't going to go out until you do the action that they want to see. Like it right. doesn't matter how much you spray water on that propane fire it's actually yeah. not going out until the guy in the control room says okay you passed now i'm going to turn the fire out right yeah. so we're doing so this is february and i'm certain that the water was stored outside somewhere because it was about february-ish temperatures <laughs> oh. so you're in some sort of work overalls kind of jumpsuit sort of thing wet uh freezing most of the stuff um so i wear glasses and you are not allowed to wear corrective lenses for most of the stuff um, because, of course, you don't want a contact lens to get adhered to your eyeball and you can't, you know, put your goggles or your helmet on over your glasses. So sometimes you're just not really seeing everything so great. Um, and I remember the situation where we were given everything's also timed. We were given this map of the ship or pointed to a map that was on the wall. And we needed to um, we had received a day's worth of training and it was the um, like overload training, you know, on purpose 
way too much information. Just like, this is how you make a brace for a door. This is how you do this kind of brace. This is what you see. You're sawing wood and hammering things together and very, very poorly bracing doors. We would never have survived an actual a ship crisis. Um, this is how you put a fire out. This is how you do the sprinkler system because you can't have the fire near the like, thing that's going to explode. So a day of that and then a day of sort of testing how well you could remember that stuff in a cool. crisis. So I remember getting pointed to a map and told that I needed to go to whatever room. And I, I don't, I'm sure the map was a perfectly normal map, but I remember standing there and thinking that is upside down and completely backwards. And I have just huh. no idea even where the stairs are on this map. And I think, okay, I got to just go for it. So I'm in a bit of a daze, sort of hypothermic because I'm freezing cold. And I go down this hatch and I go into this room and I get into this, there's this wall of valves and we're supposed to turn the water on or something, some sort of huge wall of valves. And I remember looking just to my right and there is former Canadian astronaut Dave Williams, who was on the selection committee, standing there with a stopwatch and a clipboard. <laughs> like, okay, great. Super. Okay. <laughs> just like, okay, valves. And I was like, oh, good, Dave Williams. Okay, great. Yeah. Oh, these valves. What am I going to do about these valves? <laughs> That's one of my, <laughs> it's actually one of my strongest memories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no kidding. And did you, what did you end up having to do with the valves? I think I turned them on. I don't know. Water came out. Okay. Of the thing. <laughs> I, I made it. I, I have like, it is, there was a complete blank between that moment and completing the task, but whatever I did, I made the water come on. You know, it's, it's funny because I was in Sea Cadets as a kid and we had gone to that training station and done basically like a micro version of what you're explaining because we were in just one of the rooms and there was water and we had to like plug the holes with like rubber or something like that. Uh -huh. And all I remember is how cold it was and yeah. how blind I was. <laughs> and I truly think that if someone said you can do an astronaut campaign, but you have to do that again, I'd be like, you know what? It's not worth it for me. Yeah. I I applaud you. That was it's just they. It's like pond water in the winter. It's terrible, truly. It was so cold. There were some. I remember one or two moments where we got you know hustled into the locker room or wherever or something, and they they had to watch us because we had just experienced some kind of heat stress or cold stress or something, and we needed to actually we weren't allowed to be alone in case someone. I don't know what fainted or something. No one did, but I, I thought, wow, okay, well, this is good. This, I'm glad they have our safety in mind. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess like, like the, uh, the military folk told you, they, they wouldn't purposely try and kill you right. on, on these. So right. That was, that was helpful. Test. I had that, I had that in my mind by then, but you know, when you're so that, you know, you, you have a training day we are like, this is with the saw and the wood and we're going to measure it. And it needs to be, there were some ratios, you know, that this yeah. brace has to be two times the length of the cross piece and we're going to put it against the hatch, you know, all of these things that made sense. And you're sort of sawing this wood and creating these things. And then you get to test day and you just go down the, the ladder into the flooded compartment and there's water spraying from, everywhere and all of these pieces of wood are just bobbing around in this <laughs> like maelstrom oh. of spray and waves and I thought, well that is 
definitely not what we practiced. (laughs) So you did this part of the, like, were you alone trying to fix this? No, we were, I think this part was teams. I think we were in teams, which is great. Um, Which is really, I think the, when I mentioned that my number one emotion about the whole thing is pride in our country that the, you know, the number two is just the, the teams and the friendships that I was able to build with the other candidates um, have really have stayed with me since then. You know, it was because Canada in both cases was able to hire only two astronauts, um, at least for me, it, it just made no sense to be competitive with anyone. Also, it's very helpful, I think, that you have no idea what's actually being evaluated. Right. So. For all you know, being a competitive jerk is is your first ticket out the door, right? So you just, I was able at least, and I know other people felt this way, um, you you were able to just really enjoy the camaraderie of the experience with folks because nobody knows. And it's such a small chance that anyone's going to be selected anyways. You might as well just go for it and, and be the best person that you can be and part of what I consider to be like my, my vibe is I'm a good teammate and I really enjoy working and solving problems in groups and doing things in extreme environments with other folks. So that, so I think that was, that was, it was helpful, right? You know, you had to sort of still pull your weight, but you weren't totally alone. Yeah. I, I could see that. Um, like, especially for the very competitive people, that mentality would probably be really hard for them to, to come to the realization of maybe being super competitive isn't helpful. Um, so that's, that's probably huge that that's your go-to in this, in this kind of a scenario is, Hey, let's, let's just all be a team and work through it in that sense. I it feel like it certainly, I mean, it certainly helped like steady me as a person yeah. throughout the whole thing and kind of know who I was and what I was trying to show them. Um, but it also made the whole thing a lot more, a lot more enjoyable. And, and, and it's, you know, it's nice to be able to reminisce about it a bit, but it's real fun to do it with the folks um, that were in it with me whenever we kind of were able to get together. No kidding. Yeah. And so, so you've like, you've gone through it twice in the second time, were there any similarities or anything where you were like, oh, this again? Okay, well, you just have to turn this knob and then done. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> not. Um, like, <laughs> there was the same, like some of the same themes emerged, but there was, it was not an advantage to have done it a time before. In fact, it was a disadvantage to have done it a time before, I think, because you're kind of wondering what's around the next corner. Um, mm. And yeah, it's harder to keep your emotions under control, I think. So the the big difference between the two was that um, they expanded the the whole operation and the selection in the second round, and they were able to bring in almost twice as many people to the in-person stuff. And because it was so many people, they actually brought us in in groups. Um, and so you didn't meet everybody. And and however, whatever they decided to do with the um, evaluations is that we all had numbers. And so you're wearing this, like, if you remember those gym pennies from yeah. way back in the day, you have a color and a number. Um, so you have this, so that's who you are. And they asked us to refer to the other candidates by their numbers when we talked to them so that they could 
be clear about who was being the communication. They could track it better. Um, and so that was less uh, team building, you know, when you can't, you didn't remember everybody's names and you couldn't use them. So it was, it was different in that way. Yeah, it sounds like that's there might weird. have. Yeah, that's so. <laughs> that's an interesting shift. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very surprising to me that that would be the. Um, yeah, that that calling by a number would be a thing. Because yeah, it, especially with the team building side of, of it. That. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I'm sure. I'm I'm sure if you had a <laughs> psychology person on here, oh, they yeah. would be able to explain that there's a really totally reasonable rationale for doing that, like depersonifies or makes it yeah. more equitable or some, I'm sure there are some real valid reasons. Um, and I still, you know, made really great friends. In fact, the company that I co-founded was born entirely out of the second recruitment and all those folks were finalists as well. Oh, wow. cool. That is really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so with the, um, with the training, you said going through it the second time was a bit of a disadvantage um, from that sense. And that completely makes sense. You're, you're almost maybe more paranoid or you're causing problems or creating problems that don't exist. It's um, easy to overthink stuff. And I, that is not an advantage. Yeah. Uh, what, like just from the, the personal psychological side coming out of it, was there something about yourself that you like, strengthened it just in general you mean um i think i think building i think those types of experiences always build confidence and just always build maturity um i know that's a pretty general answer but i think it's so true of kind of any experience really that you just sort of solidify who you are as a person and and go from there yeah yeah, that's that's a great answer. I I, I know that was probably a, a tough question or, or a bit more um, generic even, but um, yeah, I I could I can't even imagine going through the process. So I can I can think that there would be something like that that's like, oh yes, this is what I got out of it or surprised myself with. So yeah, yeah, yeah that makes sense. So you mentioned earlier that the the company that you co-founded came out of the most recent Ashnaut campaign. So kind of how does that how does that happen? Um, well, there it's it's a group of folks that you you met and you know even though you had to call them by their number, you know, you still make connections with people. And I know that there's there's always there's always a sense in these groups that you're like, wow, we, we want to keep in touch. Let's do something, you know, and particularly at this moment in, in history, as we see space exploration expanding um, and opportunities on the horizon, it's as Canadians also a lot of, there's a lot of excitement in, in, in Canada expanding its role and, and just being as we continue to be an international partner in these new ventures. So there's a lot of enthusiasm about space and there's a lot of enthusiasm about Canada and space right now. So it just seemed like a good time to explore what could be possible. So um, I was asked to join, this wasn't my original um, conception, but actually it's a group of folks who are more on the medical side. Um, so uh, lots of clinicians, actually, a wide variety of different specialties. 
um, had been involved in some, you know, Canadian space agency working groups for different things, thinking about the role of, of Canada in and some of the challenges that we're going to have to face on the medical side to send humans to space and, you know, just kind of came from there. I can just picture how cool that would be. And what you were saying earlier about what like a talented uh, room of people and like, it's just so, it's so inspiring to hear that, you know, at the end or in the beginning, this was meant to be like a competition for, for, you know, a job, but really what's come out of it, there's been so much more and so much like collaboration. And I don't know, it's, it's such like a, an amazing spinoff from everything. Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, several. I've heard several of the candidates, you know, make the joke that you know you think at first, wow, this would be such a cool reality show, and then you know, it actually would be the worst reality show because it's just a bunch of people saying thank you so much for the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually have always pictured this like since like like a reality show because for our listeners in our season two, we had Peter Giles on who went through the astronaut campaign in two thousand and nine, and I always picture it like a reality show but then when I think about it it's all like really highly educated really good citizens who are all really kind to each other um and I might personally love to watch that but I don't know if that sells (laughs) no I think it would not sell as a as a traditional reality show yeah it's a bunch of people with a really good control of their emotions being really humble and thoughtful and, and complimentary of everyone else actually very boring I think as a tv program I would definitely watch it though. (laughs) It'd be like a great docu-series through CBC or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I, I know that a lot of the, um, like you mentioned, the the companies based around the medical, um, the medical side, medical applications. I know a lot of the astronauts that do research up on the space station, a a large part of that is personal, um, personal application of research based on like taking their own blood or, or doing their, their own medical subject effectively for a lot of things. So is, is that some of the applications that, um, that the company is looking towards? Uh, kind of, I can tie a couple of those, the themes together there. So, so you're right. Um, a lot of the work that is done on the space station right now is learning about human health in space and, I think that is because this is one of the major hurdles that we're going to have to get over in order to send humans further and further from Earth. Um, we we obviously have a lot of innovation still to do on the technology side, but we also have to send humans that need to live and work safely uh, for long periods of time with very little support. So what does that look like? Um, So Leap Biosystems was founded as a company that was interested in this idea of space health. Um, It's not even really an industry at the moment, although it's really getting there. Um, It was more of an idea at the time. But so our company philosophy is that we want to innovate um, technology in a way that will help make healthcare more accessible. And what does that look like in the future? Because that's necessary for us to travel farther from Earth where it might not be possible to do a medevac if something goes wrong. We're going to have to solve problems in flight. But any of those technologies that we 
that we come up with to enable that are, are also going to be extremely relevant to places with healthcare inequities and inaccessibilities in Canada as well. This is super important for us as a country to get our heads around because we have so many important cases at home where we could do this better, you know, and I think yeah. everybody in the having lived through a year of this pandemic is a little bit more familiar with the idea of telemedicine. Now, how do you do you talk to your doctor on the phone? And I hope now everyone is also a little more familiar with what those limitations might be. So certainly in space, if you're going to Mars and you have a long radio delay, this is you're not going to have a really great conversation with your doctor. And you're certainly not going to like I mean, this is a sort of silly and facetious example, but you're not going to like show someone your rash um, and get immediate feedback. So like if it is a rash, you could probably send a photo. NASA will take a look at it. And tomorrow they'll get back to you with some thoughts on what you should do about it. Right. But if it's if you're bleeding, you're not <laughs> yeah. you're going to need to take action. Right. So how are we going to enable folks to autonomously handle their own medical care? What kind of training do we need to give them? What kind of technologies for guidance do we need to provide that are going to help folks do that? And it's it's the same problems we have in in remote regions of Canada, we have providers who maybe haven't seen um, this particular emergency in quite some time. We talk about skill fade. If you don't do this every day, like if you don't work in a level one trauma center and you're not seeing emergency cases every day, you know, you just, you don't always react as quickly and as correctly as you would when you just have those skills at your fingertips. So how do we train people? How do we provide in the moment support to help people make the best medical decisions that they can. These are the types of intersections that I think are so impactful for listeners because for a lot of people, and I mean myself included prior to this podcast, is I just didn't really see like what is the point in studying space? There's so much to know on earth and it's things like this that it's like, well, there's so much application to like remote areas in Canada, for example, with what you're speaking about. So, I mean, this is, we're all about intersections at the Sea uh, Stars podcast. So this is yeah, exactly the type of stuff that I think is really uh, thoughtful and, and impactful. Yeah, I think the thing that space has done for technology is it has forced us to innovate. You know, we have to solve this problem. It's just not going to work the same way. And then those solutions that we gain for living and working in space turn, you know, have had amazing you know, spin back effects. And we've been able to use a lot of those technologies on earth. So there's, we are really optimistic that we are going to be able to do something similar for medicine and that those parallel tracks of just needing to be more autonomous um, are, are going to bring hopefully great, you know, improvements. That's yeah. That sounds like an amazing business idea. Um, doesn't surprise me at all that it was, it was born out of astronaut training selection camp. <laughs> I think that's that's just perfect. <laughs> yeah. So we say we're our our goal is innovation for healthcare everywhere. Um, and you know, although the the core team and the the very um, initial conceptions, you know, was born out of the astronaut selection. Sort of my my full circle remark to take it back to my story at the beginning is that it's been really great to work with Dave Williams as our CEO now, instead of the guy with the clipboard oh. <laughs> in my horrible moment of terror and confusion with those valves. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I guess you didn't do that bad with the valves. I don't know. He says I didn't do that badly, but I (laughs) I just have to believe him because it's all set to blur. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. That, yeah. Just the the whole process, having someone like that working with you, um, you going through it, sharing the, the process to us, like it's, it's amazing. It's fun. And I'm learning so much um, about space, which I love to nerd out about and, and how healthcare works in our country. And so I, I'm always excited about new opportunities to learn. Uh, Alison, thank you so much for joining us again. I've loved this episode, loved the past episode, and I love how we've gotten to talk about that intersection between the ocean and space. And I mean, your work and everything you've been involved with is incredible. So thank you for taking the time and sharing that with us and our listeners. Thanks so much. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the Sea Stars podcast. If you have any questions, send them to us on email, Instagram, or Twitter. And thank you to our producer, Steph. Our music is by Jesse Rusk, and our art is by Niamh McMaster.